Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Today on the Matt Wall Show, Jill Biden reaches out to Hispanic voters by comparing them to tacos. For some reason, it didn't go over well. Can't imagine why. Plus, J.K. Rowling continues to experience backlash for committing the sin of speaking to me. How dare she? And the creator of Friends embarks on a global apology tour to atone for all of the unwoke sins her show committed all of those years ago. Also, remember that story about Border Patrol agents whipping Haitian immigrants? Well, a 500-page report now confirms what, what was obvious to anybody with eyes to begin with. It never happened. It was all a lie. In our daily cancellation, can a morbidly obese person still have thin privilege? We'll find out today. All of that and much more on The Matt Wall Show. You want to know an easy way to adjust your spending and saving strategies? Just call my friends over at American Financing, which is America's home for home loans. There you can get a free, no obligation financial review so you can understand new ways to get out of debt faster. Like I mean it when I say there's no pressure, there's no upfront or hidden fees. It may sound daunting making a call like this and you think it's going to get complicated, you're going to get roped into all kinds of different things. That's not the case. It's very simple. No pressure at all. It'll just be a simple conversation about ways you can add hundreds back to your monthly budget. And uh, that's something that these days we could all certainly use. Maybe it'll be by consolidating debt, by adjusting your mortgage terms, or even accessing cash. Whatever it is, believe me, these guys can help. And you don't need perfect credit to make it happen either. They want to help as many families as possible. It's one of the many reasons why uh, I like these guys so much and appreciate them. So why not take 10 minutes and learn more? If you start soon, you could close in as fast as 10 days. Just call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS, 182334, NMLS, Well, I could not have predicted that this would be the week when an organization would have to release a statement with the phrase, we are not tacos. But uh, then again, here we are. And I, for one, am loving every second of it. This all begins with Dr. Jill Biden, PhD, making a stop in San Antonio to speak at a luncheon held by a far-left Hispanic advocacy group called Unidos U.S. And uh, more on that group in this luncheon in just a second. But during her speech, Biden, uh, somehow still the most coherent and eloquent Biden in the family, but the bar is very low, wanted to show that uh, both she and her husband are, are deeply in touch with the Hispanic community. You know, they, they understand Latin culture and its people. They especially love Latino people for uh, the one or two minutes that they spend in the voting booth, provided that, of course, they vote Democrat all the way down the ticket. And that's the Hispanic tradition that I think they most value and cherish, though it's a tradition that has been rapidly fading, thankfully. The last few election cycles have made it abundantly clear that the Democrat Party is steadily losing its grip on the Latino vote. 
As a recent Reuters headline put it, Hispanic voters are losing faith in Democrats. And the article suggests that the swing in the Hispanic community towards the Republican Party is like a 10-point swing, almost 10-point swing, eight or nine points, uh, just for for, uh, Trump in 2020. And they suggest this has a lot to do with uh, the abysmal state of the economy right now. And there's no doubt that that's at least part of the story. It comes as news to Democrat politicians, but minority voters are actually uh, human beings who have real practical concerns. For instance, they want to be able to afford gas and food, and they don't want their children to you know, starve to death. So these are things that they're concerned about. They also don't particularly want to be murdered by, by criminals that Democrat DAs let off the hook. Now, admittedly, on this point, I haven't really checked the polling data. In fact, I haven't checked the polling data on, data on all of this, on any of it, but I, but I can just assume that it's true. And also this as well, I'm betting that a huge number of Hispanics and other minorities don't want to send their kids to school to learn about gender fluidity or to be subjected to um, drag queen strip teases. These are all reasons why Hispanics may be increasingly looking for political options outside of the Democrat bubble. And this is what drove primarily Dr. Jill Biden, PhD, to the Latino conference. And it's what led to this glorious moment, which begins with uh, Dr. Jill Biden, PhD, attempting to praise the work of the president of the organization, whose name is Raul. That's his first name and his last name I won't even attempt to pronounce. And that's when things go careening off the rails tremendously. Watch this. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, is your strength. Now, I realize that I am in no position to criticize anybody for mispronouncing words, but even I find myself flabbergasted by bodegas. Now, she means, of course, bodega, but she pronounces it like somebody who would go to a Mexican restaurant and order a quesadilla and then try to impress her waitress by asking her to point in the direction of the El Bano. And yet this was somehow not the most embarrassing part of Dr. Jill Biden, PhD's remarks. She also, as has been much discussed in the hour since, tried to compliment Hispanic people by saying that they are as unique as breakfast tacos. And from what I understand, you know, just what I've heard reports is that next week she'll be speaking to an Asian American organization where she'll praise attendees for being as bold and vibrant as General So's chicken, and as reliable as pork fried rice. But this at least will not be as insulting as when she hails Italians for being as cheap as box spaghetti and says that the French are as soft and puffy as a freshly baked croissant. Now, the question, though, is that the taco comment in particular, what, was it actually racist or, or you know, really offensive? And of course it wasn't. It, it's, it's stupid and it's hilarious, embarrassing for her, but greatly enjoyable for the rest of us. Not racist, though, right? Yet I confess that I'm not eager to defend her from the racism charge any more than she would be presumably eager to defend me from such a charge. So instead, I'll just sit back and enjoy the show as uh, various left-wing groups pretend to have been severely victimized by Dr. Jill Biden, PhD's clumsy attempt at pandering to them. That's what brings us to, as mentioned at the top, 
The National Association of Hispanic Journalists, which released the following statement last night after this whole thing happened. They said, NAHJ encourages uh, the First Lady and her communications team to take time to better understand the complexities of our people and communities. We are not tacos. Our heritage as Latinos is shaped by various uh, diasporas, cultures, and food traditions. Do not reduce us to stereotypes. So this is, they are, they are uh, you know, standing up to tamp down the stereotype that Hispanic people are tacos, because that's a stereotype that, you know, you've heard a stereotype before, that Hispanics are just, they're like, they're just tacos, literally. But they're not, turns out. And I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, but are they burritos? Are they chalupas? Are they a bowl of guacamole? Further clarification, I think, needs to be made here. For her part, the First Lady has uh, now issued an apology for calling Hispanic people tacos. Her spokesman tweeted this morning, quote, The First Lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. He then added that the guilt and regret she feels burns inside her like a very spicy salsa. And yet, amid all of this delicious taco controversy, I think the most truly offensive, like actually offensive, and gratuitous aspect of, uh, of this story has somehow been lost, as it so often is. Because the actual name of the conference where she delivered these ill-fated remarks was, quote, this is what it was, the Latinx Inclusion Luncheon. Now, inclusion is spelled with an X and therefore pronounced, I guess, inclusion. Of course, the irony here is that if you actually add an X to inclusion, it becomes exclusion. So it's which which actually there's there's a there's I think some some something poetic about that. It's no wonder the first lady you know felt that she could be demeaning and patronizing in her remarks. She was speaking, after all, at the Latinx Inclusion Conf- Luncheon. Obviously, she felt like she had some license here. The left is holding her accountable for her taco-related stereotypes, and yet they haven't noticed that the whole event promoted right in its name the Western white liberal colonization of the Spanish language. Now, I'm not Hispanic, but uh, I can still say that, that I, I think I would rather be compared to a taco than have my language destroyed for the sake of appeasing LGBT militants. And then again, the same thing is happening to the English language, so I suppose we're all in the same boat. We, we have to understand, I think, getting away from the taco stuff for a moment. We have to understand the reason why they're randomly dropping the letter X into words, where it doesn't, of course, make any sense, and where it, in fact, destroys the meaning of the word itself. As we've talked about before, you know, when you do this, especially with the Spanish language, which is a heavily gendered language, and you try to make everything gender neutral, you're just, you're just obliterating the language. You're creating a new language. And so what the left is saying to Spanish-speaking people is that uh, well? You shouldn't. Sp- your language is bad. It's a your your language is transphobic and homophobic. You need a new language, and we're going to give it to you. Here it is. Say these words instead. Bark for me. Bark like dogs at at our command. That's what they're saying to Hispanic people. But the X thing in particular, it seems totally arbitrary, right? 
like even if I even if we agreed that we needed to make words more inclusive, which we don't, and which doesn't make any sense anyway. I mean, words are every word, every word by its nature needs to be exclusive in that it means a certain thing and doesn't mean other things. Because if every word means everything, then no word means anything and we can't speak anymore. But why? So, but even if we agree that words need to be inclusive, like why would the letter X accomplish that? How does that work? Does the word inclusion itself need to be more inclusive? And if it does, how do you accomplish that by just dropping the word X into the letter X into it? Seems totally arbitrary, and it is. But this is what we have to understand: the arbitrariness is the point. This is what tyrants do. They manipulate their subjects or simply command them to do arbitrary and meaningless things because they're arbitrary and meaningless. It's like that scene in Cool Hand Luke when uh, the jail warden makes Paul Newman's character dig a hole for no reason and then fill it back in and dig it again. The idea was to you know, break his will and his spirit, train him to be obedient and to follow orders. It didn't work in Cool Hand Luke's case. But for many Americans, it has worked. Now, the, the X thing in particular hasn't quite caught on yet. The Hispanic community almost uniformly rejects it. But give it time. I mean, the left has shown that this strategy works. Make people do arbitrary things, dance through hoops for no reason, break their will, train them to be obedient. As funny as the taco controversy is, I think this is the real agenda what we should be talking about. Now let's get to our five headlines. When did we decide to stop upholding free speech as a basic right? Well, I didn't decide that, but uh, that seems to have been decided in society. What's playing out right now at big tech companies and social media sites sets a dangerous precedent. Look, it doesn't matter what your politics are or who you voted for. Everyone should have the right to express themselves freely. Sadly, the big tech monopoly has instead opted for silencing tactics and censorship instead The fight back against big tech's control of the internet, I use ExpressVPN. We use ExpressVPN on your computer or your phone. You make yourself anonymous, much of your online presence anonymous by hiding your IP address. Just call me Jill Biden. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and uh, sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and, and cyber criminals as well. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It just takes one click to protect all of your devices. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by Business Insider. So let's stop allowing big tech to revoke our rights to free speech. Why not revoke their right to your data instead? Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash Walsh to get three months free with my exclusive link. Go to expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now to learn more. All right, we'll start here. So the uh, J.K. Rowling saga continues. The story is, uh, last I checked, is still trending on Twitter after like two or three days. They still can't quite get enough of this. And just to back up and review here, uh, because it's changed a little bit, right? So I, I, um, I mentioned yesterday how J.K. Rowling criticized me for my critique of Macy Gray, who's the pop singer who went on Piers Morgan last week, early last week, and, and made the very controversial statement that women exist and are female and they have babies uh, and they have breasts. And that's, that's how she defined them. And then uh, she lasted about two or three days uh, until she went crawling to 
do the pilgrimage to morning network TV where she apologized and, and said, well, actually, women don't exist. It's just a vibe and everything else. I criticized Macy Gray, said that she's a, a coward because she is. Um, and then J.K. Rowley criticized me for attacking women. And she said that I, I can't possibly know what it's like to be a woman standing up against the trans mob. Not her words exactly. But I, I can't know what it's like to be a woman because I don't have to deal with all of that. Um, well, yesterday... When we talked about this, I didn't go through the whole exchange that I had with, with J.K. Rowling. It was more than just you know the, the one tweet back and forth. I responded to Rowling's tweet to me by telling her that, well, actually, I, I, I have experienced um, death threats, everything else from, from the trans mob for years now, but especially because of my film. And she responded to, to me after that saying that, well, that my film, referring to what is a woman, Here's her, her exact word. She said, it did a good job of exposing the incoherence of gender ideology. That's all she said, right? Uh, and that was, and that, was the, that was it. That was the end of our exchange. And because of that, even though, again, the only reason initially that J.K. Rowling said anything to me at all or about me was to criticize me, um, because she had that one sentence acknowledging the film and saying that it did a good job of, of exposing the incoherence of gender ideology. Because of that, that's why this story has continued to trend. Um, and there have been many headlines just like this from Pink News. J.K. Rowling criticized for praising dangerous anti-trans film by far-right bigot Matt Walsh. And then this from, uh, from The Advocate, it says, J.K. Rowling and Matt Walsh bond over transphobia, get blasted online. And the Daily Dot says, J.K. Rowling endorses transphobic documentary by alt-right commentator Matt Walsh. So I'm an alt-right commentator now. I didn't know. I always, I always learn new things about myself anytime my name appears in headlines. Here's a bit of, a, of the Pink News article. It says, the Daily Wire film features Walsh asking, what is a woman to a variety of people, including a pediatrician, a surgeon who specializes in gender-reaffirming surgery, and controversial psychologist Jordan Peterson? The film has been called transphobic by Rolling Stone and dangerous by LGBTQ Nation. Well... If it's called that by LGBTQ Nation, then you know it's true. We, we know we can trust LGBTQ Nation. Rolling Stone, let's, let, never mind the fact that as we established, yes, they, they did call it transphobic, and I think they also called it dangerous. But as we established, none of the people uh, involved in writing this article, this hit piece on what is a woman for Rolling Stone, had actually watched the film. The editor made it through 11%, and the writer of the, of the article didn't watch any of it whatsoever. But never mind that. Um, Pink News says... Uh, uh, it provides ammunition for those who seek to deprive transgender people of access to affirming and life-saving health care. Walsh, the author of Johnny the Walrus, a notorious anti-trans children's book, has become known for describing himself as a theocratic fascist, a label that has been directed at him previously by his critics. In a blog post explaining his use of the label, which he uses in his Twitter bio, Walsh claims that it could be an obviously sarcastic joke, or it could be a completely literal and sincere statement without the slightest hint of irony or sarcasm. It is definitely the latter, can I just say. Could be one of the two, but I am, I, I think I've been very clear about this for years now that I'm a theocratic fascist. I have plans to take over uh, not just this country, but the hemisphere and uh, put you all underneath my uh, tyrannical boot heel um, as, my, as my servants and slaves. That's, that's my plan. I think I've been very open about this. And yet, um, again, all Rowling did was acknowledge the film in the context of criticizing me. And this is a story to the left. They, they can't handle it. They can't deal with it. 
because they believe that they have the right. Well, there, there are a few reasons for this. A few reasons why this becomes a story they talk about for three days. One of them is that um, they believe they have the right to control who J.K. Rowling speaks to. Like what they're saying to us, you're not allowed to talk to him, even to criticize him. Can't talk to him. Can't talk to that guy. They can control who she speaks to and who she speaks about. Why do they think they have that right? Well, they think they have that right with everybody, but especially because she is a woman. You know, the left believes that it owns women, that women are its um, property, just like they believe this with, uh, with racial minorities in this country. And that is a unique challenge for women who stand against them. That on top of uh, getting all the normal anger and backlash, there's also this sense of uh, they're, they're treated like traitors. Like there's this sense of betrayal. How dare you? You're supposed to be on our side just because of your, of your sex, even though sex doesn't exist. But still, we, we determine based on that that you belong to us. And the fact that that is a, a unique challenge for women, that's something that I'm perfectly prepared to acknowledge. In fact, I'm eager to acknowledge it. I've said it many times. The problem, though, and this is what I'm running into with the feminists, um, even the feminists who are critical of the trans agenda, is that is it, they can't leave it at that. This is, this, this is the case for, for J.K. Rowling herself as well. Like We, we could talk about if, if you're a woman and you stand up against the trans mob, there are, you're going to be treat, treated in a certain way, and there are going to be unique challenges that come with you being a woman standing up against these people. That's, that's fine. We could, we could talk about that. But the feminists, they can't leave it at that. They want to go all the way to claiming that, uh, as J.K. Rowling did herself, that men aren't criticized at all when, when, when we say our opinion. That we experience no backlash because we're men, which is just completely absurd. And because they insist on this, then that's why you know everything kind of breaks down. Any chance that we have for conservatives on to, to sort of form this alliance with, uh, with left-wing feminists, at least on the issue of transgenderism, any chance of that happening, in my experience especially, just completely breaks down. Because they are beholden to this victimo- victimology, this victim hierarchy, and uh, they can't get past it. They can't see past it. And the, the thing is, that no matter who you are, if you take a stand against the orthodoxies of the day, there are going to be unique challenges for you. And whatever your position is, whoever you are, whatever your identity is, they're going to be, they're going to be, you're going to have to deal with, with certain things. And some of that's going to be unique to you in your particular station in life. Nobody is, uh, is exempt from that. And so the position, and if we want to break it down, male and female position women are in is that again, the left thinks that if you're a woman, well, they own you. They have ownership of you, even though you belong to a category that doesn't exist according to them. Still, they own you. So if you say anything, then, then you're a traitor. Um, if you're a man, on the other hand, then you're already, you're a villain. You're, you're worthless. So there's the people that, are, that, that they think they own, and there's people that have been cast as the villain. It, which, which category is it better to be in? Which category is treated better? I, I don't think either category is treated well. Just you're, you're treated like worthless scum in slightly different ways. I don't know why we can't simply all agree with that. Uh, moving on to this, Marta Kaufman, who's the creator of the uh, what I think 
next to Seinfeld, maybe the at least is the second most overrated sitcom of all time, Friends. She's been on an apology tour recently, and I'm not exactly sure why she's been doing this now in particular. I don't know. If, I guess she has something she's promoting. She's got another show coming out. I don't know that exactly, but I could only assume that she's got something else she's she's working on, and so she wants to set things right with the woke brigade. So she's been going around trying to right all of the unwoke wrongs that her series committed somehow back in the 90s. Now, I was never, as noted, never a big fan of Friends. I've seen a few of the episodes. It always struck me, even in the 90s, as pretty politically correct. Okay, it never would have occurred to me that there's anything offensive to the left in Friends, but apparently there is. There's quite a lot. So for the last few weeks, she's been going around apologizing for all of the various groups that were hurt by friends somehow uh, in an effort to become an ally now. So we'll start with this. She, she appeared on uh, Talk TV. This was at the end of June, a couple weeks ago, to talk about the racism on her show. I had no idea there was racism, but there was, as she confesses here. But she's going to set things right. And uh, listen to this. It took me a long time to begin to understand how I internalized systemic racism. And I've been working really, really hard to become an ally, anti-racist. And this seemed to me to be a way that I could participate in the conversation from a white woman's perspective. I hope it becomes the leading AAAS department in the country. I hope that this department gets everything it needs financially and can um, continue to engage students. And I hope it widens. Okay, so she uh, one thing she's been doing for the last, uh, I don't know exactly everything she's been up to since Friends went off the air, but it's very clear that she's been studying wokeness and she's been studying it closely because uh, she knows, she, she speaks the language now. She, she had it all down, you know, do the work, participate in the conversation, all this kind of stuff. It's still not clear to me. So what exactly was racist about Friends? It's not, it's not clear. I guess it's because there was a, there weren't enough black actors on on the show, and so it erased. Uh, apparently, this at least I've I've learned. I can assume this is what she's talking about because this is what I've seen from other left people on, on uh, social media that friends erased black people by not having enough of them on the sitcom. So I don't know if you are a black person, you might not even realize that you were erased by a sitcom in the '90s, but you were. And you sh- and if you don't feel harmed and damaged by that, you should. This even according to the co-creator of the show, she even says that. So now she's pledging it's uh, four million dollars to support African and African American studies. Uh, so she's trying to heal the racial wounds created by friends because of that. But it's not just racial wounds. Um, look, anytime there's an occasion where someone is a victim, we know that uh, that the trans club they're gonna they're gonna find their way in to that conversation. Okay, no one is a, nobody in this country is allowed to be a victim by themselves without including trans people. Trans people are also victims. If you think you're a victim, there's always going to be um, uh, the trans club coming right behind to say, "No, I'm me too." Oh yeah, I'm also a victim of this. So she went, she appeared on BBC last night in an interview 
to uh, confess to various pronoun-related atrocities. Let's listen to that. Criticism is, it's difficult. I mean, Friends has been criticized in a number of ways. The biggest one being that we did not have enough representation of Black people. And over the course of the last few years, I have gotten to the point where I can say, unfortunately, yes, I'm guilty of that. I am guilty of that. And I'll never make that mistake again. I was clearly part of systemic racism in our business. I was unaware of that, which makes me feel stupid. So yeah, that was a very valid, extremely difficult criticism, which still I get emotional about. If I knew then what I know now, there are certain things I would have changed. But I didn't know them, and I have since learned. Here's one. We kept referring to her as Chandler's father, even though Chandler's father was trans. Pronouns were not yet something that I understood, so we didn't refer to that character as she. Oh, pro. <laughs> she gets, she's getting emotional. She's getting choked up. Um, she's still, 20 years later, she's still crying about the fact she's distraught because there weren't enough black actors and, and friends. And also because she, she misgendered, uh, who is it, Chandler's tr- trans dad? Is that what it was? So that's why you, you would think that, we, that the left would celebrate friends for being ahead of its time. I didn't even realize this until just now, but, but so, so one of the characters on friends had a cross-dressing or trans or whatever, uh, parent. So you'd think that the left would, would be celebrating and say it was ahead of its time in the nineties to have that kind of character. But, but no, because even though it was ahead of its time, it still had not yet caught because it existed in the past. It wasn't aligned with what people are saying and doing in the year 2022, um, which, which is just a, a, an unforgivable sin. And so atonement must be made. And that's what she's doing now. It's no surprise to see this, you know, especially from people in Hollywood. In order to find success in Hollywood to begin with, you have to empty yourself. Most of the time, you have to empty yourself of, um, you know, your, and any real personality, any real convictions. And you just become this empty shell of a human being. Um, and that's why she has no problem. I mean, this, anyone else, I think if you, if you had like a spine and a soul, you would at least be embarrassed to be doing this apology tour for a sitcom that you made 30 years ago, but she has none of that. There's no dignity. So there's nothing to worry about for her. All right. So you remember that story about the, the border patrol whipping immigrants as they tried to cross the border. This was, uh, Several months ago, that was the story anyway, that there were immigrants, I think there were refugees, Haitian, Haitian immigrants rather, trying to cross the border, southern border, and uh, they were being whipped by border patrol agents. That was the story. Uh, it was a story amplified, of course, by the media, amplified by Joe Biden, the president himself, went on TV, was talking about how what a horrible uh, atrocity this was. And of course, there were, there were a lot of things about that story that a lot of questions that were raised that we, we could have talked about, we should have talked about. Like, for example, uh, why are Haitian immigrants coming across 
the southern border. Well, we didn't talk about that, though. Instead, we talked about the fact that they were getting whipped. Um, even though, you know, there were images at the time of this whipping. There were, there were pictures and there were also, there was video as well. And you could look at that, as we did on this show, and clearly see, oh, that didn't happen. They were not being whipped at all. Yes, some of the Border Patrol agents did have whips because they're on horseback, but they were using them on the horses, not on the immigrants. And you could clearly see that on video. And nonetheless, the media ran with it. Biden ran with it. He just he threw all of these agents completely under the bus. Um, and uh, they declared that there was going to be a long investigation into this whipping that anyone with eyes could see never happened. And so they did the investigation. And a couple of days ago, they released a 511-page report, Okay, the, U- the Customs and Border Protection Agency. They've been investigating this for months. They compiled a 500-page report about a whipping incident that there was already video evidence never happened. And they determined that, indeed, it never happened. That's what the report declared. And yet, here's the headline. Here's, here's how the media is translating it. I think this headline in NPR is representative. It says, the agents on horseback who chased migrants used unnecessary re- force, a report finds. That's, that's how they are summarizing it. It says, U.S. Border Patrol agents on horseback engaged in unnecessary use of force against non-threatening Haitian immigrants, but didn't whip any with their reins intentionally or otherwise, according to a federal investigation of chaotic scenes along the Texas-Mexico border last fall that sparked widespread condemnation. Again, the headline in the media, including on NPR and every other mainstream media outlet, was that they were whipping the immigrants. And now we're being told that never happened. Is there any retraction from any of these media outlets? No, of course not. Instead, we get the, uh, well, we weren't exactly right, but we were basically right because they were still using force. Well, what kind of force were they using? Let's read on and try to find out. Because, in, again, in the, in, this, uh, in the videos and in the photographs, I didn't see really any force being used. Except in the case, except just in the sense that, that the Border Patrol agents are physical beings. So anything they do involves physical exertion. I mean, even speaking requires physical exertion. So is that what they mean by physical force? Well, maybe we'll find out. Um, In a 511-page report released Friday, Customs and Border Protection blamed a lack of command control and communication for mounted agents using their horses to forcibly block and move migrants during an influx of Haitians arriving last Saturday, uh, rather last September at the U.S. border outside Del Rio, Texas. Um, CBP Commissioner Chris Magnus said during a news conference, we're going to learn from this incident and we'll find a way to do better. Not everyone's going to like all the findings, but the investigation was comprehensive and fair. Um, Video and photos of the incident made it appear agents were whipping Haitians. Well, no, it didn't make that appear that way at all. The headlines made it appear that way, but the video and and the photographs did not make it appear that way. Uh, Caused outrage among advocacy groups and civil rights leaders. The Biden administration promised a full investigation after many in the president's own party objected that such tactics with racial overtones were the kinds of policies that the U.S. was supposed to be moving away from after years of hardline immigration tactics under President Donald Trump. Yeah, I wish there were hardline immigration tactics under President Donald Trump. One of, my, one of my biggest problems with um, the Trump administration and his tenure is that uh, we did not at all get the hardline tactics that we were promised. But anyway, 
Former police chief Magnus took over the nation's largest law enforcement agency, blah, blah, blah. I, what I'm trying to get to is, is what, where exactly was the physical force? I mean, that's in the headline that they used inappropriate force. And then in the first sentence, they say it again. But where exactly is the force? Are they going to explain what they meant by that? And as you go through the article, it doesn't appear anywhere. So it would seem that by physical force, what they mean is that exactly what I said, actually, that these the Border Patrol agents were are, are physical beings and they were there like exerting themselves physically. And so that's what we mean by physical force. And yes, they did try to block the um, illegal immigrants from running across the border and running away. You don't really see any physical contact being made, but they do position themselves in front of the illegal immigrants to try to block them. And um, you might point out that that is exactly why they're there. That's They're called Border Patrol. This is enfor- enforcement. They, they are there to try to block people from coming across the border illegally. That's one of the only reasons the Border Patrol exists in the first place. That is being called unnecessary and inappropriate force as a way of papering over the fact that the whole story about whipping Haitian immigrants was completely false and fabricated from the beginning. All right, I'll move to this. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, the Food and Drug Administration received its first application for an over-the-counter birth control pill on Monday. The application comes just weeks after the Supreme Court's ruling overturned Roe v. Wade, which has some critics concerned about access to contraceptives. There's no reason why there should be any concern about that because Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with contraception. Uh, But it says the company behind the application, HRA Pharma, a uh, Perigo company, seeks to become the first daily birth control pill available in the U.S. without a prescription. Now, this is very bad news, obviously very bad news. It should be obvious to most people anyway. And um, the reason is that, uh, you know, we have been in this country below replacement level since probably the early 70s. You know, what counts as replacement level, that can vary depending on who you talk to. But since about the early 70s, we've been below population replacement level. Last year in 2021, saw the slowest population growth in U.S. history. 75% of uh, counties in this country lost population. First time that's ever happened. Total growth was 0.1%, which is definitely below replacement level. Uh, And that is one of the many reasons why I don't celebrate any news about more accessible birth control. Another reason is that uh, the whole idea that birth control is inaccessible or there's a lack of birth control or it's hard for people to get their hands on birth control, like that, 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 the whole idea is completely absurd and nonsensical and a complete false narrative. Um, there is the options for birth control for anyone who wants it are plentiful. Unless you live out in the wilderness um, 100 miles from the nearest town, and there's not very many places you can go in this country to live somewhere like that, and not very many people do. But unless you live in a situation like that, birth control is very accessible to you. Like you can get birth, you can get a form of birth control of contraceptive at at almost any gas station. That's how accessible it is. And yet we're continually told how there's this phantom problem of people not being able to obtain birth control. It's 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 just like um, the people who have trouble voting because of voter ID laws. You know, I think these are these are two people in this. These are two groups in the same camp. In that they don't exist, or at least I've never seen any real evidence of them. Okay, I want to talk 
to the to the person, whoever it is, who's actually had trouble obtaining some form of contraceptive in this country. I want to know how that is. Like, how exactly did that work that you had trouble obtaining it? Uh, so that's that's the first problem with it. But the but the but the other problem, as I said, is that population is declining rapidly, and that is a crisis. Why is that a crisis? Well, because uh, we're dying off as a people, as a country, which would seem to be a problem to me. We are literally dying off, which leads to an older, uh, more frail, more vulnerable population. People just kind of wasting away without anybody to care for them, which is what we're experiencing right now. It's going to get a lot worse in the next 50 to 70 years. So if you think that civilization dying off is a problem, then, uh, then, then you know, there's no reason to celebrate greater access to birth control. That's, that's the exact opposite of our problem. We do not have a problem with a lack of birth control. If anything, the problem goes the other way. And why is the is is our population declining? Well, it has a lot to do with birth control. Uh, it has a lot to do with the fact that that uh, people are increasingly giving up on human relationships entirely, replacing it with internet porn and that sort of thing. It has a lot to do with materialism. People are prioritizing other things, their material comfort and luxury and everything, rather than um, having and starting families and leaving a legacy and having progeny and descendants and everything else. And at the bottom of all of that, I think, is the fact that that we as a civilization are despairing of ourselves. We're just giving up on existence. We're simply giving up on it. And you can see that in people because when you when you when you as I said, you would think it'd be obvious that our population declining and dying off is a a problem. You'd think that would be obvious to people. And yet, when you tell people that, very often they kind of shrug their shoulders. Oh, why, why does that matter? Why does it matter if your civilization dies off? I, if I need to explain that to you, then we have big problems here that go beyond this conversation. All right, let's go to, let's go to some good news before we get to our comment section. Uh, this article from CNN, unfortunately, ropes Biden into it and tries to give him credit for something that he had nothing at all to do with. But if you can overlook that, the story is quite fascinating. It says, the first glimpse of how the James Webb Space Telescope will change the way people see the universe has arrived. President Joe Biden has released one of Webb's first images. And of course, he did. The president didn't release the image from the satellite, but whatever. Um, And it's the deepest and sharpest infrared image of the distant universe to date, according to NASA. The image shows um, a a galaxy cluster, and uh, it's called gravitational lensing. This created Webb's first deep field view of incredibly old and distant faint galaxies. The presentation occurred at the White House during a preview event with NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. And then today and throughout the week, they're going to release more images from this telescope. Um, this telescope, and you can, we'll put the image up on the screen, you can see it. This is a telescope positioned a million miles away. Now, the Hubble telescope, I think, is like 300 miles outside of uh, Earth's orbit. This is a million miles away, orbiting like around the sun, capturing images 5 billion light years away, which is to say 5 billion years into the past. And when you look at that image, each blob of light that you see there 
um, in the image is a galaxy with, and, and each of those galaxies has a, like a hundred billion stars. And each of those galaxies is, is a millions of miles away, millions of light years away from each other. Yet they seem so crowded together in the image. And yet, if you were to hold up a grain of sand in front of your face, it would block out this whole region of space from your perspective. Okay. Billions and billions and trillions and zillions of miles with billions of planets and suns and nebula and galaxies and black holes and probably millions of, of advanced civilizations. I'm assuming all of that from our perspective, tinier than a grain of sand on the beach. That is interesting. You better be interested by it. If this doesn't interest you, then I, I don't know what else to tell. I don't know. What, I don't know what to say. I give up. Let's get to our comment section. Given uh, recent SCOTUS wins, it feels like the pendulum may be swinging back to a time when the nuclear family was situated at the center of American life. We've got a long way to go, but maybe we're headed there ever so slowly, where, you know, in this case, real conversation, learning, and growth begin at home with your family gathered around the table. In President Ronald Reagan's farewell address, he said, all great change in America begins around the dinner table. Bring your family to the dinner table with Good Ranchers. Then Good Ranchers cares deeply about providing families with high-quality meat and uh, doing it at a reasonable price, as always. Their mission is to bring people to the table, making those shared moments with your loved ones easy, accessible, and uh, delicious as well. Good Rancher ships 100% American meat, born, raised, and harvested in the U.S., right to your door. Plus, when you subscribe, your price is locked in for life. Uh, the entire time you're, you're subscribed to them, you get the same price. You know it's not going to go up. I've scarfed down everything they sell. My wife enjoys it. My kids, as picky as they can be, they like sitting down while we're eating Good Ranchers. Their T-bones, ribeyes, burgers, everything from them is great. I haven't been disappointed by anything. Good Ranchers not only supports American agriculture, they also are uh, big fans of The Daily Wire. They sponsor all of our shows. So go check them out. Use my code Walsh for 30 bucks off uh, plus free shipping on your order. Take advantage of this offer today. You can invest in time shared with your family. You're going to buy meat anyway. Buy great meat from folks who support all that we do here. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Walsh to start bringing people back to the table and eating seriously delicious food. Now, we do have some comments from the show yesterday, but there, there were two others uh, that I neglected to read yesterday as we were reading yesterday, reading comments from, um, from a video we released during, during vacation where I was ranking the worst superheroes. And I was reading some comments from some very angry nerds who were mad that I was being disrespectful of superheroes and superhero mythology. I just want to read two other comments to you because these are great. Uh, Yukubu says, hey, Matt, I just want to say you are absolutely right. You're not qualified to make this judgment of superhero movies. If you think that the Wonder Woman outfit isn't the right one for war, maybe if you research on the character, you'll know better. Oh, yeah. Wonder Woman in like a spandex leotard fighting trench warfare. That's the that by, by the way, also bright colored, Okay, bright colored. Uh, but the hair and makeup's perfectly done. Bright colored spandex uniform for trench warfare. For 20th century trench warfare. You think that's the right outfit? That's what you would go with? If someone said to you, if you got enlisted to be involved in trench warfare, that you would say, hey, let me go grab my spandex real quick. Come on, Yukubu. You know better. 
Dwight says, usually I'm very much in agreement with Matt Walsh, but I could not watch this whole video. Blatantly ripping female superheroes for a show and trying to compare them to realistic standards when they're obviously fictional characters is ridiculous and irresponsible. Everything he's saying can be applied to male superheroes if you utilize that same logic. The tone from the first eight minutes I watched really makes it sound as if he personally does not like women superheroes. Were they the greatest movies? No, but find other relevant topics. Come on, man. Uh, I just love this. I I love this comment for so many reasons. It's irresponsible. This is like dangerous and irresponsible to criticize female superheroes. Uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that, why it's irresponsible. You accuse me of not liking women superheroes. Well, I, yes, I'm guilty as charged. I'm not hiding that. But I also don't like any other superheroes. So you can rest easy, I suppose, on that part of it. And then you complain about the topic itself. Well, find something else to talk about. You clicked on a video where the title was ranking the worst superheroes. So it doesn't make any sense to click on the content and then criticize the content for existing. It may, it's, it's just like if I, if I walked in to, um, you know, if I were Jill Biden walking into a taco restaurant and then saying, why are you guys making tacos in here? Why don't you make a pizza instead? If you want other con- content, then just don't click on that thing, which is very clearly labeled. All right, let's go to some, some comments from the actual show. Says, um, H. Mills says, Matt, how are you so on top of things already? We just got back from vacation with our six children and had an amazing time, but I'm on my second day trying to recover. The Suburban is still trashed. There's a mountain of laundry, and somehow the house is trashed when we haven't been here. We also brought home a cold. Parents need at least a week to get back to normal. Glad to have you back. Uh, yeah, well, this is, all, this is all camera tricks, I assure you. Uh, I, I'm, this is any parent knows this that after going on vacation as a family, you need a, you need another vacation from the vacation. But part of the advantage I have is that I'm still like semi on vacation. I'm in, I'm, I'm at least in the place where we vacationed. So, uh, but make no mistake that I, I can pull together slightly a little bit for for camera, not even that well. But um, in reality, I'm just falling apart in so many ways. William says. Matt is a different kind of creature. I honestly don't think most people could handle the attack that comes when you speak the truth about gender. Not that I'm excusing her giving in to threats, but I can't imagine what it feels like to be subjected to leftist attacks. So I kind of agree with J.K. Rowling standing up for her, but I also agree with Matt that it's better to stand your ground in the long run. Uh, yeah, I, you know, yes, it it's difficult when people are attacking you, but and we can acknowledge that. And I think we've all acknowledged that. And I acknowledge that. I've experienced it. So I know that it's difficult. But once we acknowledge that, then we just have to move on. Because if we're going to tolerate that as an excuse indefinitely, then nothing's going to ever get better. Like if, if you want any kind of positive change in society, it requires at least a little bit of courage. There's no way to do it without courage. Um, courage is, uh, I think C.S. Lewis said, courage is the testing point of all virtue. You can't really have any virtue if you don't have courage. So what you're, and I, I, I appreciate that you're trying to be empathetic. But at the same time, what you're basically saying is, yeah, but you know, if it requires courage, then we shouldn't expect people to do it. Well, that is also, talk about giving up on civilization. I mean, that's, you're just giving up or throwing up our hands. And we need to hold people to a higher standard than that. 
yes, it does require courage to stand up against the mob, but we all should expect each other to show courage. And if we don't, we should be held accountable for that. Um, let's see. Peanut Pablo says, I feel so bad now because I'm blind and I have my fiance drive me places. I'll have to put up with the judgment of sweet daddy Walsh and the sweet baby siblings. Well, I hate to say it, but, um, you know, just as I know that, uh, that I can't depend on any excuse when I, when I relinquished the steering wheel to my wife, even though I'd driven 17 hours and she only drove two and you know, I felt like I was falling asleep at the wheel. I, so I had to, it's still, it's not a good excuse. The man always drives. And I think, um, even visual impairment is, is just not a satisfactory excuse, I'm afraid to say. And finally, Jeremy says, why is everyone in the comments calling him Sweet Daddy Walsh? Well, here is someone who doesn't know the first rule of the Sweet Baby Gang and is therefore banned. But thanks for watching anyway. Every day, the universe is expanding and we're learning more about it and how interesting and fascinating it is. Both the literal outer space version and also our own Daily Wire Plus multimedia universe, which is even more fascinating than the actual universe. As the world's first non-woke streaming service, Daily Wire Plus is everything you love about the Daily Wire, plus so much more. As a member, you get exclusive access to new shows and features from Jordan Peterson, plus the entire PragerU uh, library, plus animated and live-action kids content, which is coming soon, plus original movies and documentaries, all of that. Now that I mention it, Daily Wire Plus does have this one gripping transcendent documentary in particular that you should check out. Maybe you've heard me mention it a time or two. It's called What is a Woman? It has, has a score of 97% of Rotten Tomatoes from the audience anyway. Uh, the mainstream critics have just completely ignored it, but the audience loves it. And you can watch What is a Woman for yourself and find out why. You can also watch all of our other great documentaries, movies, and shows by going to dailywireplus.com or download and open the Daily Wire app today. If you aren't yet a member, you can get 35% off when you sign up now. It's time to build the future you want to see. Become a member at dailywireplus.com today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, it's been a prolific week for privilege. It all began on Saturday with a rousing Twitter debate about Anne Frank's white privilege. Now, apparently some leftists on the platform had been discussing the issue of uh, inherent privileges allegedly enjoyed by victims of the Holocaust. And TMZ was the first outlet to pick up on this conversation and report on it with the breathless and only semi-coherent headline, Anne Frank, she had white privilege? Twitter debates. TMZ reports in their article, Twitter is yet again proving it's the worst for bulk bad takes, this time debating whether Anne Frank, who was hunted and killed by Nazis, had white privilege while alive. Then there's a, an emoji. I don't even know what that emoji is supposed to mean. They put it in the middle of like a news article, an emoji. Then they continue, you might have noticed that uh, the, the late Holocaust victim was trending Saturday, but finding out why is disheartening. Some, it seems, have floated an argument that Frank benefited from white privilege in Nazi Germany, an argument that is rightly being shot down left and right. Unclear how this toxic discourse first started, but it seems to stem from a warped notion that Jews had the benefit of their skin color to go unnoticed in public, if only temporarily, during that bleak time in history. While POC... Uh, historically haven't been able to do so. The theory is so twisted, and yet it's being defended by a select few on the Bird app. Now, as always, the first thing that jumps out at you anytime you read a TMZ article is that the film Idiocracy had it wildly wrong, because in the movie it took 500 years for the world to be so completely dumbed down and stupefied that a guy with an IQ of 95 is the greatest genius on the planet. 
by all appearances, we'll reach that point probably in another, I don't know, you know, not 500 years, maybe 500 minutes or so. As for the white privilege debate, um, TMZ may be scandalized by the very notion that a 16-year-old girl who died in the Holocaust could be accused of uh, having, you know, any kind of privilege at all. And it is a st- an incredibly stupid idea, but it's also what leftism teaches. The doctrine of white privilege clearly states that white people possess inherent privileges on the basis of their race. No exceptions are made for this or can be made because any exception would unravel the whole idea of inherent privilege to begin with. If any individual white person can lose their privilege or never possess it to begin with, it would prove that privilege is not something automatically bestowed on everyone based on skin pigmentation. And if that's the case, then the white privilege creed is invalid, but the invalidation of the white privilege concept would mean the invalidation of the left's entire racial project, which they can't allow to happen. This means that all white people everywhere in all situations must be indicted for possessing inherent privilege, no matter how invisible that privilege may seem. Holocaust victims had privilege. Uh, The white child born in a single wide trailer to a meth-addicted mother has privilege. The homeless white guy sleeping under the bridge has privilege. The white college applicant denied acceptance in favor of a less qualified minority applicant has privilege. If you are white, even if you can find no evidence in your life that you were ever given any advantage because of your race, and even if, on, on the contrary, there's actually evidence that you've been disadvantaged because of your race, you still have privilege. Privilege is unfalsifiable. There is nothing you can do to disprove it, and that includes being murdered in the Holocaust. If that sounds crazy to you, well, yes, exactly. You're getting the point. But there were more developments on the privilege front this weekend. A TikTok video went viral thanks to our friend uh, Libs of TikTok featuring an obese woman explaining the concept of thin privilege. Yes, privilege is not just assigned on uh, based on race. Of course, there are many other forms of it. As TikTok user Gay DHD Goddess explains, listen. I have thin privilege. What? But I'm so fat. I'm like a size 20, 22. How can I possibly have thin privilege? Because there are people who are fatter than me. When I go up on a plane, I might need a seatbelt extender. I might be uncomfortable. I may not feel good. People may say things to me but I don't need to buy a second seat or risk getting kicked off the plane. That means that I have privilege compared to people who have that experience. You may not even need a seatbelt extender. If that's the case, then you have privilege compared to me. Somebody who is a model size may have privilege compared to you, but that doesn't mean you don't have any privilege. Almost all of us have some thin privilege. It's a spectrum and it goes by degrees. Right. If you need a seatbelt extender, you still have thin privilege because at least you fit into one seat, she says. She actually says that. And if you need two seats, you still have thin privilege compared to somebody who takes up the whole row. And that person actually has thin privilege compared to somebody who needs to charter their own military cargo plane just to get around. And that person has thin privilege compared to somebody who can't fly at all and has to be tied down to an aircraft carrier like King Kong and dropped off on a mythical island filled with other prehistoric beasts. As long as there's at least one other life form theoretically more gargantuan than you, you have thin privilege, we're told. Now, you can kind of see the the self-serving 
I would really call it brilliance of the thin privilege spectrum concept, because all at once it allows the fat person to claim victim status, you know, competing for gold in the oppression Olympics, while at the same time rationalizing their gluttony by also claiming thin status in comparison to people fatter than themselves. So they can have their cake and eat it too, in their case, both figuratively and I'm sure literally. The magic of intersectional victimology all at, one, all at once makes them both victims of fatness and beneficiaries of thinness. They can be both. It's the best of both worlds, or at least it would be if the worlds actually existed, but they don't. Because as a great philosopher once said, I think it was Aristotle, uh, he said, uh, uh, quoting, he said, the mere existence of a fatter ass does not make your ass any less fat. Thinness you know, may have a relative component to it. For example, even after gorging myself on vacation for a week and a half, I am still thinner than, let's say, a humpback whale. But that doesn't really mean anything. Because if you're a human being, your thinness or fatness is judged really not based on a comparison between yourself and other species or even between yourself and other people, but rather on how a human is supposed to be built. The problem with being fat is that if you are fat, you are carrying around more lard than your body was made to handle. And that would be the case even if you were the only person on earth. Even if, if you are morbidly obese and everyone else dies and you're the last person living, you would still be fat because your body wasn't made to handle all that fat. You're overtaxing your bones, your internal organs. You're killing yourself. That would be the case no matter what, else, what anybody else is doing. This is also why thin privilege makes no sense. No matter what the left has tried to do with the word, privilege is quite simply, as the dictionary still defines it, at least for now, a special right, advantage, or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group. That's a privilege. Um, the ability to fit onto an airplane seat is not a special right or advantage. The ability of my liver and lungs and other internal organs to function normally is not a, a special right or advantage. It's simply the standard human experience. It's what we're supposed to all experience. The obese person has inflicted upon himself special disadvantages. That doesn't make him a victim in any kind of societal sense of the term. The same can be, can be applied to the concept of racial privilege. If you as a white person have never been explicitly granted special rights or advantages or immunities because of the color of your skin, then you don't have white privilege. Okay, if there, if there is um, nothing that you're like allowed to do because you're white that other non-white people aren't allowed to do, if, then, then you don't have white privilege. You might have other privileges. There are indeed privileges that come with, let's say, being wealthy. Uh, there are privileges that come with being extremely attractive. Not that I would know. This is especially the case if you're a woman. All kinds of privileges come with being an attractive woman. And most of all, there are privileges granted on the basis of ideology. You, you will enjoy the support and encouragement of every powerful institution in the country if you're on the left side of the ideological divide. That's the greatest privilege that our society has to offer. It's where true privilege can be found in many ways. So ironically, those complaining about their lack of privilege are doing so in order to gain privilege. By professing the doctrine of privilege, they're publicly aligning themselves with leftism and ensuring that they'll be granted all the privileges that come with it. And that is why 
white privilege and thin privilege and all the other fallacious concepts of privilege are today canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Jeff Tomlin. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. Joe Biden compares Hispanics to tacos. Glenn Youngkin figures out a way to rid Virginia of 300 useless government bureaucrats. And a gay couple sues when a designer baby son turns out to be a daughter. What is a daughter? Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.